Welcome to Farts Performers Happiness in the Arts Podcast that's meant to gas up musical theater performers as they pursue a long career on the stage. We bring flatulent happiness to ourselves and to each other through integrity, authenticity, love, and of course, humor. All guests on this podcast are out to help musical theater performers. And while we do it, ah, we may laugh at the simple things like the word penis. 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 What's up, everybody? I'm here with Caitlin Piccarillo. Thank you so much for coming on, man. No, this is super fun. I'm excited to be here. I love this. You're sitting in a professional studio. I am outside with the traffic, so you will hear cars Oh, my professional professional studio, a.k.a. my bedroom. It's Love it. Love it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for just agreeing to come on tonight to talk about researching a show. Yes, I love this stuff. I do. I I, I love it so much. Um, and I, <laughs> I wish. Yeah, great. I think it's great that we're covering. <laughs> I'm a this giant nerd. Honestly, yeah, I don't like this kind of stuff. I'm going. Oh, great! I get a research. I'd rather just flip through TikTok than go and do research on a show, unless it's just watching the show. Sure, but That's then fair. again, if I've already seen it, I'm like. <laughs> I already know it. So yes, yeah. let's dive in. Do you have steps? How do you think is a, what do you think is a good order when we're going to talk about a way to go about how to research a show, especially if you don't like to do it? Um, sure. So, uh, basically, I mean, the the easiest thing in general, uh, if if your production has a dramaturg, that's the person to go to. That person will already have done your homework for you. Wait, describe dramaturg. Who's this yes. dramaturgy person? Yes. So dramaturgy is the person who is the uh, liaison uh, between the playwright and the director. So if the playwright is dead, say like Shakespeare or Neil Simon or something of that nature, or they're not in the room, they're not dead. They're just not there. Um, they're the person who's there to make sure that the director is at least following the general uh, wishes of what the the author was going for. So, like, if the author was, like, a a staunch anti-Marxist and then to add, like, a communist tone to over it, you'd have to be like, "Uh, that's not quite what the author was going for. Um, Ooh, or yes, something of that nature. like West Side Story. West Side Story, yes. especially because we're doing the reading that coming up. That's a similar idea. What are their original intentions? And they probably had to do a lot of that research when they did the 2008 revival, figuring out 100%. what was okay, what was originally attended, all that stuff. For sure. Also because dramaturgs in non-theater, well, theater land, but also like opera land, uh, their job is to translate things. And so like the, the revival of... Uh, West Side Story was uh, they they had the shark speaking Spanish primarily, so they definitely had someone working that script in a translation. Um, and then the job of a dramaturg when there are uh, when you're working with a new work when the the playwright's in the room um, is to be there to ask questions that uh, you're making sure that the director and the playwright don't butt heads too much because the playwright has their vision. And the director has their vision. And so you're there to say, you know, if the director's confused about this aspect, you have, you're the person to go to the playwright and say, hey, so I don't understand why this character is, is this, is doing this? Why are we here specifically? If that makes sense. Um, so a production dramaturg will 
um, be there and they'll have already done all of this research for you, doing historical research, vocabulary, um, socioeconomic, background, thematic stuff. Unfortunately, um, except for educational theater and some regional theaters, they don't use dramaturgs. Yeah, I have never, ever, ever come across a dramaturg, which is in all my professional career. So that's why I was like, that is a that's a privilege. That's incredible. I would love to have a dramaturg. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a shame, really, because you can tell when a when a pro, uh, a show has been well researched when the ho the production has done their homework, and you know it's. It, it, it's really a shame that it's not utilized more. There are so many wonderful dramaturgical professionals working in, a, you know, the U.S. that that don't get to really do it as much as as they should be able to. Um, so, in lieu of having one, if your show, which it will likely not have one, uh, the actor has to do that homework. It's the director's homework, and then it's the actor's homework because the director is under no obligation to share all of the work that they've done background wise. Yeah, so all right, what are steps in order to get some of that stuff done? What are the five, 10, like how many, how many big picture things would you say there are in regards to find, making sure you've hit all the different points or at least some? Yeah, um, I'd say it's somewhere between 10 to 15, depends on how deep you wanna get into it. Um, so first, the the absolute first thing I think that you should do is go through the script and find words and names that you don't know or are uh, you think you know but might have extra meanings and go and do a dictionary search or an encyclopedia search because sometimes it will be spelled out for you very clearly, but sometimes names or or words that you think you know are not are not what you think they mean. Um, so do some vocabulary homework. Um, for instance, it's spelled out in the play, but in Summer and Smoke, the uh, main woman's name is Alma, which means soul, she talks about it. But that is very much about how her um, journey is about, it's about someone who is has this faith and ha is very much connected to her soul and moving more towards a physical aspect of her life. Um, another example, I'm gonna stick with Williams because I've, I've done too much research on Williams, would be uh, Blanche from, from Streetcar. So her name means white. It is a, she is showing a, a purity. Her name means some sort of pure uh, thing that is going to be defiled by the end of the play. Um, and that is a good, place to at least know at the top of the play that your name means something to you um, in the bare minimum. And then vocab wise, I mean, how can you say your lines if you don't know what each word you're using means? Because, you know, that that's the difference between someone just speaking lines and someone living the life of a character who who knows what they're saying and why they would say those things. Yeah. Um, and then next, next, number two. Number two. <laughs> okay. So 
I think it's really a good idea to do a little bit of biographical research on the playwright. Um, not every playwright uses their life as a jumping off point for their plays, but a lot of but them some do. Yeah, some do, and even if they don't realize it, they 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 may. So yeah. it's good to potentially see parallels. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. So like the their lives might not be like directly influenced, but things that they that might have been a challenge for them in their life might be one of the themes of the play. So uh these I mean these, all the examples I have are actually biographical examples, but plays like Glass Menagerie is a direct autobiographical play of Tennessee Williams. Um Eurydice by Sarah Rule was written as a reaction to her father's death. And um, one of the monologues in the play is referencing a real place near where she grew up. Um, Brazen in the Sun is about the actual uh, issues uh, Hansberry's family dealt with when moving into a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, and so these things are so important to know even just in the background. Um, an example, those examples are all things that I did as a dramaturg, but an example I can give as an actor is when I was in college, I did a production of a show called Who Will Carry the Word? Um, and it was a not very well-known play by Charlotte Delbo uh, uh, about the Holocaust. It exists in one uh, like collection of Holocaust plays. And she was a survivor of a concentration camp. And it, but she was not Jewish. And her story is her about this group of like 35 women who were not Jewish, who were prisoners of war because they had been spies. And each person in that play had a direct, true historical connection. There was a real person based on each person, just a different name. And so luckily, like two months before the play happened, um, there was a book published about this specific group of women. And so I was able to read the book and find my counterpart in the play, in the book compared to in the play. And that made an eight line character make so much more sense. I had eight lines in a three hour play with 35 women but because I had done that research, I knew that that woman, how that woman died in the concentration camp, specifically, um, how she got there, um, which was devastating to have underneath everything. I mean, she literally, she was a spy for the resistance. She, she and her sister um, like secreted messages and she was probably betrayed by her fiance who had been kidnapped, tortured and killed. So like having that background, even though I never get to say it, is something that was grounding in a really hard uh, situation to even live in for three hours at a time. Um, so having biographical research about your playwright can give so much more life to your performance. I mean, that's why I really, really loved um, Zachary Quinto's Tom in Glass Menagerie when they revived it. You know, it, it makes me think of Mary Poppins, the movie. It's not that I'm well read, but I think it, it goes into, it's not, not Mary Poppins, but there was one. Oh, Saving Mr. Banks. 
Yes. That movie where they go into her own and they do flashbacks of her own life and these similar, it's, but it's her essentially taking a dream world out of a, a very rough childhood. That was very eye-opening to me. And, and it's actually connecting so much more now, that movie, with what you're discussing. So I appreciate that a lot. Let's Happy just do health. three more big ones. Sure. Three more three, big ones. Three more big ones. Um, okay. Three more big ones are the era that you live in, uh, that the play is set in, the major themes of the play, and the style of the play. Those are the Ooh, big three. Go into yeah. the era. Let's 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 Great. dive into era the, now because the era why is, is that valuable? You yeah, know, is that it is, just the accent? Like what is it? It's not just the accent. I mean that's definitely helpful. But the era, the the difference between the culture of an area is totally different in any given time. If you think about how different New York was in the 1950s versus the 1970s versus the 2010s versus the 2020, um the way we interact with one another, the way different people have a social status in that time, um, it will inform so much about what, how you will behave, how you would carry yourself, what, um, how you would interact with different people. Like how I interact with my mom now in 2010, it would be definitely different than how I would act towards my mother in England in the 1800s just totally different manners. Um, and then if you're doing a very specialized era, like let's say doing a restoration play or an ancient Greek play, if you're sticking very close to those um, styles in, in, in an era, you would know that in ancient Greek plays, you know that you don't show blood on stage and that that theater would be very declamatory because they wore masks. Their faces weren't shown at all. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. Or yeah. a restoration play. There would be maybe a lot of stuff that's unsaid because you're using a fan. And you might want to tell us, you know, talk to someone like this, even though it's not said, but this is a whole different gesture because you've done your homework. Yeah. The, and also it adds more of, uh, it really takes people into a different world, even more so with the story that you're telling. Oh, how cool. And here people are going to think that you're being a genius with some new ideas. You're like, no, I'm actually just taking from the period, but thank you. Like, yeah. <laughs> thank, thanks so much. Yeah. I, I just know what you're, how you're supposed to stand if you're wearing a corset. Cool. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So that I kind like of that. stuff. Yeah. And then also, I mean, obviously if your play includes uh things about race or sex or sexuality or politics, knowing what was going on at the time in that, with that kind of stuff. And then who, and then you have to make choices about what your character and what they feel about those different things if it's not explicitly stated in the play. Um, but you can't really make those choices in an educated way if you don't have that homework. You know, if you are, playing an upper middle class, you know, like playing an upper middle class white girl in the 1950s, where that white girl is living in, you know, are they, is she living in San Francisco at the time? Is she living in New York? Is she living in Texas? What does that mean if she meets a gay character or if she meets a black character? What would those relationships look like even a little bit? 
You might not have lines talking to those people, but you still might need to pass them on the stage and acknowledge that they exist or don't. That might be a choice. Um, so That's very, I, very true. I, I, I and it, it's, it's, it's interesting how you're bringing up all these things. It just, it, it's knowing if you're breaking the rules of the tradition or not, like truly. But I mean, a lot of us consciously do that now and that makes you more of you. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, if you choose to follow the rules and then the director says, no, no, I don't want that, then you'll have the research to back up why you're breaking the rules or vice versa. Um, so I think, I think just as much as vocabulary and biography, I think era is like top tier stuff you need to be doing your homework about because you can, you can 100% tell people who are doing a specialized like time period piece who did not, you know, look up how one would interact with people just by the basic, basic, you know, standing up when a lady walks in the room or not. Um, yeah. And uh, it drives me a little nuts. One of the things I can think of right off the top of my head was, uh, I don't know if you got to see The Last Ship when it was on Broadway. No, I did not. I did not get to see that. It was so good. I loved it. I worked it for many months. However, <laughs> there was one thing that drove me freaking nuts every single night was that the, the play was took place in a small shipbuilding town in England. Okay. The entire economy of this town is the fact that they were building ships and everyone, you know, everyone in the town is involved in it in some way or grew up around it. Yeah. And so at one point in the play, this kid is wrapping the rope around his arm like this. And anyone who's dealt with rope on a ship or has coiled cable, which is how I knew that this was wrong, would know that you're not supposed to coil rope or cable this way. It would ruin the rope. It would cause knots. And it took me out immediately because I knew that that guy did not lit, was not from there. There's an, an amount of suspension of disbelief, you know, when you're seeing theater. But like when you, when you're that one audience member who ends up catching the thing, that yeah. one thing. The other thing that bothered me was another character pulling flowers off someone else's grave to put on his father's grave. And I was just like, that's a choice. What? That That's a terrible choice. There's literally other flowers on the set right now. What are you doing? Hey, well, you never know with that, if that's director or, or actor decision there. True. It felt like a, uh, a uh, blocking decision rather than a an acting choice. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, and so that is, I mean, it's a petty thing, but you never know what's going to take your audience out of what you're doing. Well, it's also your passion, so it makes sense. All right, what are the other two? What's the next one we're going to do? Okay, other two was themes, which I, I, I vaguely touched on, but... Uh, it sounds like there's thunder. Oh my goodness. I, um, I tried to mute. I was just going like, dude, people don't like, can they just take the note and know we're in an interview? But no, all right, go for it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, so I might've touched on the idea of race, gender, sexuality, what have you. But if it is actually a theme of the play, 
you need to 100% do your homework on on what the playwright is trying to go for, what they're what they're commenting on. If you're doing Streetcar Named Desire, you need to do research on what um, what sexual assault meant in that era, what um, what the playwright was talking about when they're talking about um, his her her uh, late husband who killed himself because he was gay. Those are important themes to to know about. Um, if you're looking at Clybourne Park or uh, Raisin in the Sun, you need to look at race and what it what that era of race was like. And in Clybourne Park, you need to know about um, redlining and different kinds of uh, ways of race influences how where where people live and how people live, as well as gentrification was the other word I was looking for. Um, Super, super important to, to know what those things are about. Uh, Dry Land, which is a, a really contemporary play, but that's about, you know, uh, knowing what a, in a contemporary lens, what talking about abortion, especially with teens mean. Um, all of that major thematic things that come up in the play, in order to have, an, have your character have an opinion about them, you need to know about them in, in a, in, in a you know a general way, how we talk about race, gender, sex, sexuality, etc. Now is totally different than how people felt about it when these plays were being written. Um, and then also, you need to keep in mind what your director is trying to say about it. So, like, you can be doing Lysistrata now and be using a contemporary lens about what a sex strike would mean now, but also knowing what a sex strike meant in ancient Greece. Didn't they do a football or basketball musical of it? Lysistrata, Lysistrata Jones, like yes, it, it exists. Yes, <laughs> yes, did you see that? I, I didn't see did that. I did not, because it looked silly. <laughs> I, I knew somebody who saw it, I think they said it was good. Oh, I wanna see that now. It sounded so odd, and I, now I'm just intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a recording. I am somewhere. sure. I digress. Yeah. I digress. But I get what you're saying with the theme. I mean, right there. Yes, perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and, and like, think about uh, more recent is like slave play. Slave play is not only about slavery, but also uh, I did not see it, so I might be wrong. But I would have to assume, based on what I was told about it, it's also about gender roles and how race plays into gender roles and sex itself um and and having that kind of background luckily they had the playwright there to ask those questions um but if you know you're a small theater company in the middle of nowhere doing it doing that research would really be helpful yeah I'm not getting to my unmute mic fast enough. Yeah, that's I was like, oh. <laughs> that's okay. It's fine. Um, last one. Last, last, very not least, number five of the high five list, which we figured out that it was going to be five on the spot. Oh, yes, yes. is style. Ooh, the style um, of the play. 
Wait, before we go into style, I have to mention that I am wearing a great styled shirt that I recently sweat in for my workout. Meanwhile, Caitlin is adorning a beautiful floral top and her hair is down beautifully brushed and bathed. So we are definitely definitely showing off different styles right yes, now. Of yes. course. Um, <laughs> and in this case, I mean style slightly different. Um, I mean it in the way as um, if you are performing, if your director has decided to use a specific style of theater, doing your homework on that style. Well, uh, so for example, we've already talked about restoration dramas and Greece, but um, another example would be doing epic theater, which is the theater of Bertolt Brecht. Epic theater is completely different than realistic Stanislavski-based theater. You know, it is a highly political type of theater. It is um, very much, you know, about theatricality and not letting your audience uh, get into that suspension of disbelief. It is, a, it is about making sure that they, they're right here. They know that you are acting that this is a show and you're gonna be aware of it because we gotta talk about this thing, which is that theme that you had to do your homework on already. Um, another example would be, I, I, no one does it, but I think it's cool, is uh, Theater of Cruelty, which is Artaud. Uh, Anton Artaud was this French- uh, Never heard of this, so yeah. I'm actually excited. <laughs> Artaud is, ew. He, God bless him. He had some problems. Um, I mean, it, it, he did. It, his his life uh, is, if you read a biography of him, is split up by which psychologist is was uh, was treating him at the time. And the thing about the theater of cruelty is the idea of getting that, uh, if I recall, getting that catharsis out of your audience by essentially scaring it out of them. <laughs> the idea was to um, surround your audience with the grotesque, with bright bright lights right in their eyes, with loud noises that would shock them, with imagery that would shock them. Um, the best uh, known play that would probably use that that was not one of our toes would be um, Marat Saad, which I don't know the whole title because it's very long. I feel like uh, I saw that in college a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's a crazy play within a play about the Marquis de Sade and and people die and it's bloody and um but that was his point in its most disturbed. But there is no way you can go in there doing that kind of work without having some background in in what that means because it is totally totally different. Than anything else that you'd probably study in, in school. What's the name of the style? What's the name of the style again? Theater of this Cruelty. Theater of Cruelty. Uh, oh, yeah. What's there's in, in New York, there's an interactive version, a dancing version of Hamlet uh, in, oh. in New York. Uh, tip of the tongue. I know someone's going to listen to this and know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you guys. I feel like. I feel like what I'm thinking it? of a totally different thing. It's where you're wearing the mask with the pointy nose. Oh, 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 it's, it's, it's a Scottish play. And that's, um, oh my God. 
No, but it's not a play. It's it's an experience here in New York. No, I know. It's it's, it's, it's oh. based on the Scottish play. I just refuse to say it because all the world is a stage. Um, <laughs> and uh, but, it is sleep. But, no but my point is, there's there are some instances, depending on what room you're in, I think kind of go a little bit off of theater of cruelty. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's, that's where I would go. And so I think when you're saying nobody does that, I was like, I would say they actually kind of do that a little bit in there. Yeah. And, um, and it's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> and it's terrifying. Yes. Um, you have Definitely. to keep going. You miss every, you miss half of it when you go. It's true. And, oh my gosh. Uh, what is it? Oh my, I can't wait. People in the comments on the podcast more. are going to go, what is it? Sleep, sleep no, no more. more. Yes. Yeah, sleep no more guys. If you have not seen uh, sleep no more, as soon as it comes back, we're in pandemic times, dude, run to see that. So good. I need to go see it again. Yeah. It's a good time. Um, and then, uh, I, I mean, in doing your homework, you might learn a little bit more about your process that you didn't realize that, uh, that, you were doing, you know, sometimes theater teachers are a little mysterious. Um, and uh, one of the, the biggest surprises to me was when I was in college and I was doing a theater history paper on um, Augusta Boal and uh, the theater of the oppressed, which is a, uh, a type of political theater that uses community. It's like a community-based theater. And by doing my homework, I found out that all of the theater games I had played in my freshman year were theater of the oppressed games and that that my teacher had been using these as a way to build our community without ever telling us that hey this is based on augusto Bull's teachings it oh, was just i there. love that that's so um, cool yeah and so i i think even if you're not in a play just reading theory um do i mean if it's boring because it's boring. Reading theory is boring. Unless you find something that really like lights a fire under your butt, reading theory is very boring. But there are some interesting things you can find on YouTube that will teach you about that stuff. And it, and it can be uh, just as enlightening to have in your back pocket. Um, but, you know, I always said, even before I got into this dramaturgy thing, because I had no idea what it was before my junior year of college, I always said that like, you have to do your homework. Everything is important to know because you never know when you're gonna need it. So I remember a freshman, I was like a, a sophomore and this freshman was like, why do I need to take math? I'm never gonna need math as an actor. And I was like, so you're never gonna be in proof where you need to know what a proof is. I mean, the, you never know when this stuff is going to be needed. You know, you know, I I've seen readings of plays, new plays at MCC where it was about a uh, a pair of botanists whose specialty was like a very super specific type of cacti, and so like if you've never taken a biology class, you're not going to be able to understand or probably book that work if you're not able to do your uh, have the bare minimum connection to what you're reading. It's that there's always the benefits of exposure. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolutely spectacular, just little preview. And it gives people an idea of the benefits, massive benefits of doing your research. And, and you coming in with your passion makes the world of a difference. So just 
thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I missed talking about this. And of course, if anyone is interested, I am totally willing to write up <laughs> this list of stuff so that oh they have gosh. a template. Oh, dude. Oh, please do. In the group, actually, uh, if you want to just put it up, uh, paste this beneath this interview in the group, that'd be awesome. 100%. Like, as a I will type up my little notebook and uh, and I'll oh, send I it your way. Oh, so much. Thank you. All right. Where can people find you on social media, on Instagram and Facebook? Great. So on Facebook, I have a official uh, Caitlin Piccarillo page. I'm pretty sure if you just type my name in, you'll find it. Um, I have two Instagram accounts. My first one is at Caitlin Pick, C-A-I-T-L-Y-N-P-I-C-C, -C, um, which is just my general uh, nonsense. It was supposed to be a professional one, but it's just turned into cats and food. And uh, the other one is at Soprano Next Door, which is where I am starting to load videos of my singing work. And uh, you can just check out my general stuff, including my super fun thesis on uh, rape scenes and Afro-Ben plays uh, on my website at caitlinpicarillo.com. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. You are a joy. And this is, this is a very valuable talk. So just thank you.